The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. We always say it, we always mean it, and it's true. So what's the buzz today? Let's see. Well, I found a couple of quotes from Peter Madden, whose name is followed by the letters OBE. He's the chief executive of an organization called Future Cities Catapult. This is from an article he wrote in the Huffington Post UK last year. July 21st, almost a year ago, 2016. Let me read it. Bits and pieces, I'll piece it together for you. So the buzz is, the bulk of the modern urban environment is already built. It's simply not feasible to rip out utility infrastructure to build new. There is, however, another way. By making existing utilities infrastructure more efficient. The easiest way to achieve that introduce a layer of digital intelligence. So there you go. Let's pull out the keywords. Modern and urban, okay. Utility infrastructure, okay. Not new, we got that one. And how to achieve the way for them to be more efficient and to serve the population. There you go. So let me give a little more background here. Since the beginning of the 20th century, the world population has grown from 1.65 to 7.5 billion people. That's a stat from worldometers.info. Look it up. Now the United Nations is forecasting that more than 70% of the world, look around your friends and neighbors who are out in a farm somewhere, if you're in that territory, more than 70% of the world will live in cities by 2050. What does that mean? Urgent demands are being placed on utilities. Why? We need energy. We need gas. We need water. We need power. We need other resources. Do we just need them? No. We need them delivered efficiently. We need them cost effectively and we need them sustainably. We want to keep going on. They have to be delivered to people, to businesses, to government, to NGOs in urban areas. Are utilities ready? What are they doing to deliver on the promise that they will be there for us? We have a panel of three experts. Very interesting topic. And by the way, this is officially called Utilities in Cities Get Smart. And it means you're smart utilities in smart cities. I have a great panel today. They're all newcomers to Game Changers. Let me tell you briefly who they are, and then we'll get started. First up in a moment. I'll be welcoming Steve Sarnecki. He's the Vice President of Public Sector at OSI Soft, and he'll tell us a little bit about what his company does. Joining him on the panel, Russ Vanos, Vice President of Sales and Marketing, Global Software and Services, and Smart Cities for iTron. And we'll also ask Russ what his company does. And rounding out the panel is Lisa D'Alessandro, Vice President for SAP's Regulated Industries 
Industry Value Advisory Practice. Very delighted to have the three of you. Now we're going to have a lot of great, smart conversation here. So Steve Sarnecki has selected a quote from Thomas Edison. Come on, you all know Thomas Alva Edison, 1847 to 1931, described as America's greatest inventor. If you're wondering what he did with his life, well, he holds, held, 1,093 U.S. patents in his own name, plus patents in the U.K., France, and Germany. He applied the principles of mass production. He was called the Wizard of Menlo Park. He invented cool stuff like the phonograph, record player, come on, before CDs, the motion picture camera, and the long-lasting practical electric light bulb. By the way, he built a power station on Pearl Street in Manhattan way back in the day. Here is the quote Steve has selected from Edison. Quote, to invent... You need a good imagination and a pile of junk. Steve Sarnecki, I've seen a lot of quotes from Thomas Edison, but this is a first for me. How are you, Steve? Um, well, thank you, Mike. It's, it's, a, it's a good quote for life. Um, it's a somewhat ironic quote. Uh, anytime we're talking about smart cities, smart utilities, uh, there's no doubt, as you pointed out, uh, Edison was a great inventor. Uh, but I think he's also relentless in his efforts. Uh, it didn't come easily for him. You mentioned the 1,093 patents, but to me, the, the reality is that we all need that kind of tenacity. In life, we identify failures. We try to preempt them. Uh, but if we can't, we at least learn from them and quickly move onward. Edison, Edison really had a keen eye for how to improve the things around him, and he certainly had an imagination. You know, you kind of choked on the quote. I think a lot of people do, and I think the problem is the word junk, right? Yes, Junk's not yes. politically correct. It's a word that folks really <laughs> stumble on, and it may seem a little harsh, but it really is nearly always true that when we need to change something, we don't have exactly what we need. Um, this weekend, it wasn't an invention, but I, I was on the beach, and I had to repair a beach chair. Um, I was sitting in the sand, and I didn't have what I needed. I needed a three-eighths-inch hollow tube, two-inch-long rivet, and a tool. Uh, what I <laughs> On the beach. On junk. the beach. Okay. What did you have? Yeah. Well, you have junk on the beach, right? And I watched right. my son. Uh, he took the junk he had, two pencils, taped them together, tried to secure the chair. It failed. I took some string. I took a broken spoke, truly junk, from a beach umbrella, and bare hands to bend it, and it worked. Was it perfect? No. But aside from imagination, I also had motivation, Bonnie, uh, the motivation of not wanting to sit in the sand, nor have the chair collapse with me in it and have teenagers laugh. Never a good thing. Never so, a good thing. Uh, it's junk. And, it, and, it's, and it's junk that we uh, start with because uh, we don't have the things that are fit for service in any parts of our life. We, we have to work with and imagine an event uh, in order to make it better. We're always beginning with what we have but so often ending up with something better, whether it's me at the beach, any of us around the home or at work, or as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, as a nation or as a society, the key, the key for me in this quote is the goal. It's not simply to maintain or make do, but to invent and to improve. That's life. You start with a vision, and with that, you have junk at present, and with imagination, you invent. 
Simple. I, I love that. I'm so impressed you on the beach being an inventor. And, and, you know, interesting, Steve, I'm thinking of the concept of design thinking and putting people with different backgrounds, different points of view, different expertise into a room and saying, okay, we're going to fill a need. We're going to create something. And I'm thinking if, if you took all the bits and pieces, the nuts and bolts of their, of their expertise collectively, you put them in a pile, you might have what somebody would say, ah, that's a bunch of junk. But when the brilliance comes in, when the ideation comes comes in, when the aha moment, the vision, the envisioning, the design comes in, you could get something brilliant. Am I on the right track, Steve? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. I hope you had fun on the beach, by the way, in addition to your adventure. And thank you for joining us. Now let me welcome our second panelist, Russ Vanos at iTron. And Russ has sent us a quote from Nick Saban, S-A-B-A-N. And when I said to him on our prep call the other day, Nick who? I could hear him saying, nah, she's not a football fan. So I looked him up and here we go. Nicholas Lou Saban Jr., born in 1951. I can say authoritatively, he's a young guy. He's been the head football coach at University of Alabama since 2007, previously head coach, oh come on you fans, you know this already, at the NFL's Miami Dolphin and three other universities. His initial eight-year contract totaling $32 million made him one of the highest paid football coaches, professional or collegiate in the U.S. at the time. And he appeared on Forbes cover September 1, 2008 as the most powerful coach in sports. His career record as a college head coach is 205 to 61 to 1, whatever that means. I'm going to leave that alone, Russ. Here's the quote from Nick Saban. Success doesn't come from pie-in-the-sky thinking. It's the result of consciously doing something each day that will add to your overall excellence. Sounds like a man with a plan. Russ Vanos, how are you? I am great, Bonnie. Thank you. Uh, It's great to be here and joining this wonderful panel this morning. So I know it's a bit weird to pick a football coach is a is a, somebody we want to relate to smart cities but i really love this quote and i love what what nick saban's done because not only is he probably the most successful football coach and at least collegiate football coach in history he also affects young people's lives each and every day and this whole notion about pie in the pie in the sky thinking and and a plan i think it applies perfectly to smart cities when you think about smart cities and you mentioned that you know, all the infrastructure's in place. We just have to, mm-hmm. we have to transform it. And when you think about that transformation, this is a generational thing. It's not something that we're going to start today and have an end date of next Tuesday or next January. It's really going to span generations. And so I think the biggest key in achieving the visions of a smart city is to actually have a plan and have a fairly broad plan and have a very flexible plan. But then you got to go to work each and every day and you have to execute on that. And I think so many smart city initiatives around the world that, that we get to look at are full of hype and they're full of mayors who have grand speeches and make grand speeches, but they're not followed by much meat. And so I, I really like Nick's thinking about a plan and then chipping away at that each and every day. So smart city is exactly the same thing. Big plan, big picture thinking, put it together and then let's chip away each and every day and then the transformation begins to happen, and really you will wake up a year from now or three years from now, and you'll say, hey, you know what? We really have begun to achieve the goals of our smarter city, our sustainable city, whatever we want to call it. And, I, and I, really, I think it's important in life. I think it's important in young people's lives. And, and really one of the reasons I get so passionate about smart cities is because I think it's absolutely necessary 
for the next generation. And I'm a grandfather with uh, five grandchildren. So a lot of my motivation this day, these days are really to make sure we leave the world in a better place for those five young people. So I'm passionate about this, big plan, big picture thinking, and then let's do something each and every day to chip away at that. And we'll wake up one day and we'll have built this wonderful, magical city that really will tra- transform people's lives. So I really like uh, his thinking there, and I think it applies perfect to smart cities. Thank you, Russ. And it's not odd at all to have a football coach, and especially an award-winning and career-making one, contribute a quote. And thank you, Nick Saban, for allowing Russ. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, personifying him right now. Thank you for letting Russ use your quote. It, it was actually perfect. And and the notion, this goes a little bit to me, Russ, flies in the face of the idea of the Edison quote of a pile of junk when Saban is saying, do something consciously every day. So interesting, we have a little juxtaposition there. And and I'm going to introduce Lisa now with her quote. But when, when I finish, before I get back to all of you and ask you our favorite question, what's in your cup today and where are you calling from, I'm going to ask you what you think about the people in charge of the utilities industry. Would they think more like Edison or more like Sabin or I'm going to read the quote now from Lisa. Lisa at SAP, uh, SAP's Regulated Industry, sent us a quote from Edith Wharton, born Edith Newbold Jones, 1862 to 1937, a Pulitzer Prize-winning American novelist, short story writer, and designer. She was nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature, woohoo, in 1927, 28, and 30. She combined her interview, I'm sorry, she combined her insider's view of America's privileged classes with a brilliant natural wit to write humorous, incisive novels and short stories of social and psychological insight. She was well acquainted with many of her era's other public figures, including Theodore Roosevelt. You have to look that up on Wikipedia and see what that means. Here is the quote. There are two ways of spreading light, to be the candle or the mirror that reflects it. Lisa D'Alessandro, we're so pleased to have you. How are you today, Lisa? I'm well, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me today and for hosting our call. I uh, really was looking forward to this hour um, this past week and having the opportunity to speak with you and our colleagues and everyone listening today uh, on this topic that I'm so passionate about. And I think that this quote really emulates, you know, the, the situation or opportunity we have before us. You know, earlier in the call, you talked about, you know, the buzz of the modern urban environment and is it already mm-hmm. built and you talked about some of the things around infrastructure and not being able to rip and replace. And, and I think that is you know, one of the things that's at the crux of the relationship or the desire to have smart cities and smart utilities work together in a more collaborative way. Sometimes the city will be leading. Sometimes the utility will be leading. And I think that emulates this quote in terms of whether you're the candle or the mirror that reflects it. Regardless, it's really important to have a plan. And I love what Russ is talking about to do the little things each day and knowing, you know, which role you're playing in the larger scheme of things as it relates to, you know, enabling our smart cities and smart utilities to manage all the growth that's before them. I think, you know, aging infrastructure is a shared responsibility for not only the utility and the, and the um, city, but all the key stakeholders, whether they're public, governmental, the citizens themselves. And so bringing all that together really helps us have the role of being the person that's the candle or being the person that's the mirror. So looking forward to sharing a little bit more about that later on a call. 
Thank you, Lisa, and thank you for all the kind words you said about being on the show. We're thrilled to have you here. Now, l- let me start with you, Lisa. Let me go around the panel. I, I dropped a, a hint of a question I have for the panel, and while we're not an interview, we're a discussion. I think this would make a good discussion point. Who is in charge of this utility's infrastructure? Is it by each utility's entity? Is it the leaders of the smart city who go to the utilities and say, okay, you're going to be the candle of the mirror. You're going to help us out. We need more power. We need more water. We need sustainable energy. We are growing by leaps and bounds. We want to be a smart city. Are you going to be part of it or not? Who makes the call that it's time for utilities to step up? And are utilities in the mindset right now, 2017, are they in the mindset from your point of view, your observation? Just a one-minute answer for each one of you. Where do they sit on this subject and moving forward? Lisa, what do you observe? I think it's it's changing. I think in years past, you know, in a traditional uh, regulated you know utility, you would have thought that uh, the key stakeholders would have been the utility operations and the board of public utility commissioners. I think you're seeing a tremendous voice now coming from the consumers and citizens, whether they're residential and commercial, playing a key role. And so the stakeholders are changing. The addition of the burden of cost, I think, is also you know widening that responsibility to include. You know, the federal government, state and local governments as well. And so, you know, that, that is the perspective that we're seeing and the opportunity that we have, you know, in working with this larger constituency on this key topic. Thank you very much. Let's circle back around to Steve Sarnecki at OSISoft. Steve, what do you think? Are they really in the moment thinking about this and saying, oh, darn, we got to look at this infrastructure. We've been doing this for years. Do we have to hire a bunch of millennials to fix this? Steve, what are they saying? Yeah, I think, first off, Lisa nailed it. Um, The mindset a few years ago of the utilities was not one of leadership. Whether a decade or so ago, it it shifted. I think the answer now is maybe, maybe so, maybe yes. Um, But they're not in charge. You know, at the end of the day, it is a consumer-driven system. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, utilities exist to serve the needs of the cities, of the consumers that inhabit those cities. And it's going to take uh, a solution that kind of goes across the community. And that really is one of the problems we've had historically is integrating utilities with the municipalities, with the consumers in a seamless and secure fashion. Thank you very much. Russ Vanos, love to get your thoughts at ITRON. What do you see? Well, I think I shared uh, the views of Steve and Lisa. <clears throat> I've been at this five years now, and I'll tell you, the first four years, utilities were absent. They were missing from this discussion. I think the last year, they've begun to wake up and they're participating more. I think they're hearing it from their consumers. They're hearing it from their customers. They may even be hearing it from the regulators a bit. But they're beginning to become interested. Uh, it's going to be a collaboration, though. So, you know, the leadership is not, it, it's not just one person or one body. It's going to take a collaboration from, you know, thought leaders and, and people who are interested in the community, whether that's a small community or a or a state. So utilities are beginning to, to come to the table. It'd be interesting to know how many are actually on this call today. Uh, it's a growing number, but I think they're still searching for what's their real role in, uh, in achieving that vision. Thank you very much. And you know what? Now we're going to take, before we take the pause that refreshes, we're going to go around the table. Steve, I'm coming back to you. Before I ask you what you're drinking, what's in your cup today, or what you'd rather be drinking, tell us just a quick overview, OSI Soft. Where are you based? What do you do? OSI Soft, we're based in the Bay Area of California. We've been around for 
35 years doing one thing and trying to do it very, very well. We mm-hmm. lay down uh, an information infrastructure. We have a software product that collects all of the sensor data, and we're used throughout the utilities, uh, but also on the consumer side as well. And tying back to Madden's point, um, what we really provide is, is what he advocates, that digital intelligence that lets folks on all parts of that supply chain make better decisions. Thank you very much. Now, where are you based right now? Where are you sitting? And what are you drinking right now that makes you smile? I have a picture of you with this wonderful smile, Steve Sarnecki. And I hope you're smiling. I can hear it in your voice. What are you drinking now that keeps you going? Or what are you planning to drink after the show? Uh, that's a great question. This morning, to get me going, I had a cup of black coffee. Right now, uh, I'm actually ironically drinking a cold glass of water in a 32-ounce tumbler that I completely took for granted when I opened the tap that it was going to be there and be clean. Um, later, I hope to do the same thing with uh, a new microbrew that I was reading about. You want to tell us what the microbrew is? Oh, to me, it's Nirvana State, Bonnie. It's a chocolate peanut butter porter that's infused with coffee. I mean, it just, I mean that's, it just doesn't get any better. Oh, my. Oh, my. We hear some interesting <laughs> chocolate pea. What's the name of the company? Is it Duclaw? It is. It's a Duclaw. It's called Sweet Baby Java. Okay. I We have had somebody uh, about a year ago, uh, one of their beers is called Sweet Baby Jesus, and, and I read all exactly. about that. I was so fascinated. Duclaw Sweet Baby Jesus Chocolate Peanut Butter Porter Beer. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. My son-in-law is a, a beer fan. I'm going to have to tell him about that one. Thank you very much, Steve. That's a good smile. And yes, it is only 1222 here in New York, and Steve said he'd drink it later. So, Russ Vanos, what is ITRON doing these days? Tell us a little bit, and then and what are you drinking, and where are you calling from? Yeah, <clears throat> thank you, Bonnie. Uh, ITRON's been around for 40 years now. We build communications networks that collect data from electric, gas, water, uh, metering, as well as uh, other infrastructure sensors on their networks, and we collect that data and do all kinds of data analysis. We're in a 132 countries around the world. We're based mm-hmm. in Spokane, Washington, but we're really a virtual company. People live where they live because... We all travel the utilities throughout the world. This morning, uh, I live in Spokane, Washington, but this morning I'm in Denver, Colorado, because I have a, a business meeting here later today. Um, let's see. I, uh, I started my morning here with uh, a nice Starbucks uh, vanilla vente. It's a little bit early. It's, uh, it's 1030, so it's a little bit early for the beer that, that Steve was describing. So right now I'm, uh, I've got a 20-ounce bottle of Smart Water that I'm I'm drinking. Mm. The reason for that is because I've just come off of a week's vacation where I've been out at the lake, and uh, where at 9 o'clock in the morning it wasn't too early to consume the beer that Steve was describing. So I'm trying to cleanse my body now. (laughs) I I plan on drinking about four or five more of these 20-ounce bottles of smart water today before I uh, join my colleagues later tonight for a, a cocktail and a night's dinner. That sounds delicious. By the way, does smart water really make you feel smart or make you be smart, and, and how do you define that? Well, I don't know if it makes me uh, be smart or not, but it sure uh, it sure in my mind makes me think I'm smarter. So that's why I'm going to do it. 
You know something? I, I just know looked I'll feel up. Better though, Bonnie. <laughs> Russ, I was curious. At least I'll get to you in a second. But I was curious. I looked up Smart Water, and I was very surprised. Since we're talking smart utilities and smart cities, I looked up Smart Water, and I expected something about a beverage. No. According to Wikipedia, Smart Water is a traceable liquid and forensic asset marking system applied to items of value to identify thieves and deter theft. The liquid leaves a long-lasting and unique identifier whose presence is invisible, invisible except under an ultraviolet black light. Did you know that, Russ? I did not. See, you learn something every single day. <laughs> yeah, I say the same thing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Not that kind of, he's not drinking that kind of smart water. Lisa D'Alessandro, where are you? Lisa, you could tell us a little bit about your, your uh, group at SAP if you like. I want to play fair here time-wise. And where are you and what do you enjoy drinking? Lisa D'Alessandro, go ahead. Sure. Thank you, Bonnie. I um I'm sitting here in my home office today in, New T- in SAP's uh, Newtown Square, Pennsylvania office. And um, as most people know, SAP is one of the leading providers of business application software and technology globally. We go to market by industry and are proudly serving over 25 industries today, of which our utilities and our public sector are leading uh, industries for us. Um, like many of the other speakers today, I'm also drinking water that I got from the tap as it is potable and clean um, where I am. But, you know, today, unfortunately, that's not the case. You know, there's over a half a billion people as we speak today that do not have clean, drinking, drinkable, potable water. You know, each year, mm-hmm. over 800,000 people die from drinking contaminated water. So for something as simple as a plain glass of water that we take for granted... This is worth its weight in gold in other countries. And if you look at the burden upon us around smart cities and smart utilities coming together in high-income nations, you know, today, at best, we're still only purifying about 60 or 70% of the water. That percentage drops drastically when we get into lower-income countries and then income, you know, countries that are extremely um, devastated of third world. And so something as simple as a glass of clean, potable drinking water is a shared responsibility. And it's not just third world countries. Look at what's happening in our own country here. I think everyone remembers not too long ago um, some of the things that were coming out of Flint up in Detroit. And so, you know, this shared infrastructure and the burden is really becoming more and more a reality for us right here in our own country in the United States, as well as a global initiative that we all have responsibility for. Thank you very much. And Lisa? What are you drinking? What makes you smile? What makes me smile is uh, being spending time with my family and just the simple things, uh, getting away from work and having some downtime and uh, just really enjoying, you know, having a purpose-driven life, doing things that are meaningful, helping people improve their day-to-day um, lives through, you know, simple care, giving out to the community. Those are the things that make me happy. And what about a drink? What would be in your cup that would make you smile while you're doing all that good stuff and leading a good life, Lisa? Honestly, this is going to sound terribly boring, but just clean, drinkable water would make me really happy. Well, there you go. I think that's great, and that's a perfect segue. You had no idea what you just did for me, Ms. D'Alessandro, because that's all they let me drink on radio show days. I am not allowed to go near caffeine or anything stronger, and you already know why. Today is a doubleheader. We already did our show, The Future of Cars with Game Changers, 10 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel, and now we're here with talking about game-changing smart cities of the future, and all they let me have, Lisa, is a glass of water when I'm on the air, so I have 
have a cool, clear mug with Brita filtered water. That's the best I could do. And I have a hot pink straw because I'm hoping that the sun will shine a little bit brighter here in New York. It's a little bit gray. Not sure what it's going to do. The weather forecasters keep changing their mind. You know, we're going to have storms. We're going to have clouds. We're going to have rain. Be careful of the sun, the thunderstorms. It'll be sunny 10 minutes. So we never know. So water is keeping me fortified. And thank goodness it is drinkable. And it is from the tap. So there. Filtered, of course. We are talking to Steve Sarnecki at OSI Soft, Russ Vanos at iTron, Lisa D'Alessandro at SAP. And we wouldn't be here without a shout out to the lady who put this show together, Marlon Zolkowitz at SAP at the Public Sector, who works on the Smart City shows. This is her sponsorship. And Marlon always brings us wonderful topics and fascinating guests. So Marlon, you did it again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back after just 90 seconds, don't go away. We're going to be speaking with Steve Sarnecki and Russ Vanos and Lisa D'Alessandro. But Steve is going to kick off the roundtable and we're going to dive deeper into our topic. We're talking today about utilities in cities. Get smart. There you go. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly city and local government leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as increased citizen and business demands for digital services, a growing variety of digital devices and sensors causing a data deluge, and increased volatility in politics and environment, coupled with constrained resources. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Game-changing Smart Cities of the Future is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You're listening to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future. Here we are. We're talking about smart cities today and leading into the future. Utilities in cities. The buzzword is get smart and for goodness sake, do it fast. The population is growing. More than 70% of the world is projected to live in cities by 2015, uh, 2050, 5 excuse me, according to a UN study published about two years ago. We're talking today with Steve Sarnecki at OSIsoft, Russ Vanos at iTron and Lisa D'Alessandro at SAP. We're kicking off the roundtable now with some notes from Steve. He told me before the show, and I quote, it takes a community to develop a smart city. The challenges facing a smart city are many. Energy efficiency, situational awareness, load side management, economic development, and then he's going to talk to us a little bit about the triple helix approach. Steve Sarnecki, it's all yours. Thanks, Bonnie. You know, when we were kicking around in the roundtable at the beginning, I noticed that we all talked about ownership. Uh, and it's not a simple solution. It's not something that we can just, uh, as cities, throw over the wall 
and have the legislatures and the administrators of the cities hammer out. Uh, it's not something that we can just put on the plates of the utilities. It really does take a community effort. And I think it kind of makes sense when we step back and think about why we have cities and the definition of utilities in that. Utilities really exist to serve the group of people living together, right? And they're, they're constantly mm-hmm. changing and evolving in terms of how they serve those cities. But there really are, you know, some basic um, things we expect. We expect them to handle wastewater. We expect them, as Lisa pointed out uh, so well, to, to provide clean, potable, safe drinking water. We expect them to provide roads and other infrastructure. And, and certainly, um, in the, the West and, and most of the world, we take energy for granted, right? We assume that all these uh, electricity-hungry devices we have and plug in will get uh, readily available, uh, clean, um, inexpensive power. And I think uh, we need to recognize that in this community approach, we're going to have to solve this problem uh, together. We cannot rip and replace, as Russ said. I think in the, in the U.S. there was an estimate made by Business Insider that to replace the U.S. electric grid, um, if we had to replace the whole thing, it would be $5 trillion, an insane mm. amount of money, an impossible task. Right, and, and we recognize that the electric grid is sophisticated, um, and it's you know in many cases uh, acclaimed as the greatest engineering achievement of the 20th century. Um, but unlike the aqueducts of Rome that provided water and were fantastic achievements in their time, how long can our existing electrical infrastructure in cities stand? Uh, and keep in mind that some of those Roman structures not only still stand, Bonnie, but they're still serving water today, 2,000 years later. That's why I think it takes a community approach for us to really solve the problem, not to just throw it all on the utilities. Thank you very much. I like that, the shared responsibility approach. Russ Vanos, what do you think? Well, this is a great topic. I mean, <clears throat> it takes a community to build a smart community. That, that's, that's so true. When you... When you think about a smart community, as we move from community to community around the United States, around the world, there are going to be different drivers, right? So Steve mentioned a lot of things there, energy, water, air, traffic, health care. There are going to be different drivers. And as we build that plan that we spoke to earlier, there's going to be different priorities. So probably everybody's going to want clean air. Probably everybody's going to want access to clean water. There may be different orders in which these things uh, are prioritized. And so we really have to come together as a community. We really do need to collaborate. We need to work with our citizens and our community to understand what the priorities are. These are massive projects, and they can be overwhelming. And when you think about who's best situated in a community to sort of drive large infrastructure projects, who's best to drive uh, you know, critical project management and to lay out a, a multi-year plan, I think a utility is and I don't just mean an electric utility. It may be the local water utility, but utilities have historically run these kinds of large infrastructure programs. And at least in the United States and in most of the, of the world today, we really have electrified the world, and we've, we've built out an amazing electrification system. Uh, Lisa spoke to the fact that she, or maybe it was Steve, spoke to the fact that turned on the faucet this morning, the water just came, and we never, we never think about that. These are amazing feats utilities have accomplished as we move forward now to this, to this uh, next phase of building a smart city, 
it will take collaboration. It will take a community. And I think there's a key role there for utilities to play and lead. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa D'Alessandro. What do you think? So I, I think um, one of the challenges, you know, I think everyone would agree that these are the goodness that people want to accomplish. And when we get, you know, city stakeholders and utility stakeholders and executives together, you know, agreeing on the vision of what they'd like to do is, is not as much of an issue as how they're going to fund it. And I think the challenge mm-hmm. we have is the current funding models for capital investments in a regulated utility model do not support the need. We far outgrew, I think it was uh, Steve or Russ who talked about, you know, $5 trillion just to replace the current electric grid. That doesn't even take into consideration future growth or future requirements or future uh, usage that we're going to have as we continue to proliferate the use of you know, technology through consumerization. And so I think one of the bigger or more challenging obstacles is how do we pay for it, right? So think about you as an individual and your utility bill. There's not a person that would argue that their bill should be higher genuinely without education or awareness. If people understood the responsibility or, or how important it is to maintain the infrastructure and invest, they might be more like or be more um, open to different, you know, shared revenue models, rate increases, which, you know, anytime we talk about that, you know, the first person that gets the poke in the eye is, is the utility. The second person that gets the poke in the eye is the regulator who approved it. And so there's this, uh, you know, lack of connection between cost and infrastructure and responsibility. And I think you, know, you have to give credit to the utilities you know, executives today and the engineers who are building, who have maintained these assets, they were never designed to support the infrastructure that they are. And, you know, for most days, um, they do it without a hitch. So, you know, awareness and education and then the financial responsibility and accountability to me is one of the biggest challenges that we have not yet addressed in this country. Thank you, Lisa. Steve, you started this topic. I'm going to let you wrap this up and then I'm going to pick something from Russ Vanos's notes. What do you think, Steve? I just have to make an observation first that I would say, uh, as, as Lisa said, hats off to the utilities because as I would tie it back to Edison, um, they have a great imagination dealing with the sometimes piles of junk that they have in place because mm-hmm. every city is different. We're talking about the same problem, but you know, I think Russ mentioned it. It's unique. Every city has a different existing infrastructure. Every city has different legislatures. Every city has different utilities. The utilities have a tough job trying to integrate all this, and that's why we're kind of optimistic about the role that information sharing can play in all this. But at the end of the day, uh, it's going to take a community because it's not a simple problem that we can lay entirely on the utilities to solve unilaterally. Thank you very much. Russ, I'm looking ahead at your notes. We've covered a little bit of, of some of what you've sent me, but I'm, I'm going to look at, uh, let's use a case study here. You say the transition to smart utilities requires a thoughtful approach unique to each city. That's an interesting aspect. Uh, you wa- I think you want to talk about Charlotte, North Carolina. You say Envision America achieved a 19% reduction in energy usage in a few years, more than $26 million in savings. Let's talk about that. How did they get there? Russ, tell us a little bit more, please. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a pretty amazing accomplishment, actually, and they did it uh, without giving any rate incentives. They did it without lowering, mm. you know, making incentives available to people. What they really did is made information available. So when, when Charlotte... Actually, Envision Charlotte goes back to the brainchild of 
Jim Rogers, who was then the CEO of Duke Energy, and they were getting ready to have the the uh, the uh, Democratic convention there, and he wanted to have Charlotte be a showcase, and so he really envisioned this uh, smart city approach. And we talk about collaboration and big vision and a and a plan. Jim really championed all that, and and to this day, even though he's not in no longer at Duke, he still is a champion of the the smart city approach in the city of Charlotte, and they. Uh, developed four goals. They had a pillar around energy, a, a pillar around water, one around air, and one around waste. And they set goals on how they wanted to reduce and save money, reduce waste. And the reason they wanted to reduce waste was back to Lisa's point about funding and how do you pay for this stuff. One way to pay for stuff is to reduce waste. If you can take waste out of the economy and take waste out of what you're out of the work you're doing each and every day, you can produce savings and money that can be used to refund things. So they built a network and they collected data and they put kiosks in buildings. They targeted a a downtown core area of about 16,000 people who lived and worked in those buildings every day, 26 buildings. They measured their energy. They gave them feedback on kiosks that were in the lobbies of the building. They gave them feedback on their smartphones. They they incented them through uh, all kinds of gaming kinds of uh, uh, where I could compete with you to see who could save the most energy. And by doing that, in less than one year, they were able to make a 19% savings just mm. in that, that 26 buildings, which was $26 million in savings. You take that now and you apply it across an entire service territory. You now move it to water, energy, you know, water, air, waste. Uh, think about the savings that we can have and think about how we can pump that back into our economy, build stronger economies, think about how we can take that money and share it with people in need and the people who maybe are under, you know, underserved. So a great accomplishment. And all they did was share information and get people to pay attention and get people to all work towards each and every day, chipping away that big goal. There you go. And that's it, really. That's the thoughtful approach. Thank you very much, Russ. Great case study. Lisa D'Alessandro, I'd love to have you talk about this example in Charlotte. Do you have any other case studies you want to share? Anything about how they did it, the collaborative approach, shared responsibility, the funding, the commitment to do a little bit every day? What's your thought, Lisa? I think one of the reasons why Duke Energy was so successful with their efforts in Charlotte is they really did a lot to create awareness and education. You know, most people don't think or they take for granted that the lights are going to come on, that the water is always going to be available, that when they fire up their gas stove that they're not going to have any problems. And I think educating the participants and making them aware of their individual contribution and how something so simple as, you know, turning the thermostat down or, you know, being a little bit more conscientious in terms of your consumption of water or, or just adhering to some of the you know, standards that we have um, has a big difference. And when citizens are um, empowered with information, they're more likely to get involved because not everything is um, not everything is financial. You know, there, there's a large portion of our consumer base that want to participate in you know, diverse or green portfolios. They just don't know how. When they get their bill each month and they look at the KWH and the rates, it's not abundantly clear to them what they can do to have an impact. I think some utilities have done a lot to really make energy information easy for consumers to understand. They've created energy efficiency programs and put them in what I would call plain speak so that people can enroll in programs that will be meaningful. I think the other thing is um, 
knowing who the participants are because many uh, of the consumers may be um, more prone to be involved with what I would call like a high-tech experience and use and take advantage of smart technologies in the home or different devices. There are people who are budget conscious who might want to opt in for some type of prepaid, you know, prepaid meter or budget billing. And then there's, you know, those that are just comfort focused. And so really being um, more personalized in service and education helps the consumers as well as the residential and commercial customers participate and become, you know, collaboration partners with the utility. And we've seen that through the years. You know, 10 years ago, I think the relationship most people had with their utilities was was the bill that they pay. Today, there's lots of outreach and education. We're using smart media and data consumption to create personal services and offer different services to different, you know, profiles of customers based on their consumption patterns or things that we think. And this is not a new business process. You know, commercial companies have been doing this for years. We're now seeing some of those best practices, you know, carry over into the utility industry. But I think it's a shared responsibility, and I think education really helps people understand what they can do, which really goes back to are you the candle or are you the mirror that reflects it when it comes to these types of initiatives. Very well put. Thank you very much. And let's circle around to Steve Sarnecki at OSI Soft. Steve, love to get your thoughts on the case study that is very provocative and who wouldn't want to save that kind of money in a few years. Steve, what do you see? Yeah, I think uh, a lot's been said very good about Charlotte and about uh, Jim Rogers' leadership. And I like Lisa's point about educating the consumers. Um, I want to talk about the same thing, but maybe a little differently and talk about necessity, right? Because necessity is often the other uh, driver for change uh, and, and even potentially change that's driven or at least facilitated by local government uh, and local agencies, if you will, on the federal level, working with the utilities. Uh, we were part of an effort called Lit San Leandro. Uh, mm-hmm. Essentially, what it did was, was take um, conduits and lay dark fiber. And in a, nuts, in a nutshell, uh, although San Leandro is in California, it looks like a lot of middle America. It was an old industrial city that time had passed by, that a lot of the industry had left, and while not quite turning into blight, had definitely lost its industrial base. What they did was kind of interesting because they took that industrial base, the infrastructure they had provided years ago in conduit and, and transportation, and basically lit it up. They put fiber in there um, that they could then provide Internet locally, but also use it for the city. So smart irrigation to, to save water for the city. Uh, LED lighting that not only reduces the cost from the lighting, but actually allows smart controls so they can mm-hmm. integrate it with traffic and with other parameters. I think in their next stage, and again, it's necessity-driven, they're looking towards distributed energy, uh, and even not to turn it into buzzword bingo, um, uh, Bonnie, but really mm-hmm. looking at IoT as an enabler, the Internet of Things, right? How do they take all the sensors that lie throughout a diverse city of that size, not as large as Charlotte, but certainly diverse, and integrate them so that the folks on the city side and the consumers can make better decisions? 
Thank you very much, Steve. And and Russ, I'm going to, because we're almost at the part of the show called Crystal Ball Predictions Round. So with your permission, Russ, I'm going to jump around the table to Lisa because there's something here I'd like to cover in her notes before we go to our predictions. Is that okay with you? You bet. Mr. Vanos, thank you very much. Lisa, interesting definition here of a smart city utility you sent me before the show. I'd love for you to just expand on this a little bit. We'll have time to just have the other panel comment. You say a smart city utility is one that is customer-centric, employs a network of digital sensors, information controls. I think Steve just mentioned this. Steve, I'm going to do the same buzz drop, Internet of Things, IoT technology and automation, creating new and better services, improving sustainability, helping cities and utilities collaborate and innovate. Lisa, could we make this a textbook definition? Is there anything you want to add or build out further so, so our listeners really understand that this involves everybody in every city around the world. Lisa, talk to me briefly, please. Sure. I think, you know, when I think about a smart city utility, this is what I would envision is, you know, the collaboration between the city government, key stakeholders, the utility, and the customer all coming together, kind of putting the customer in the center of that. You, As many have mentioned on the call today, it's all about the providing of service. But then using all the investments and advancements in technology that we're seeing being introduced into the network, being introduced into the grid. And utilities today, iTron is one of the leaders in smart meter you know, data management and you know, smart devices in the home. OSIsoft has been for years you know, providing you know, consumption data, sensor data, you know, outage data with their histor- data historians. You know, we now have the technology to bring all these things together, but no one key stakeholder owns it all. It's really when people come together and combine that data that we can have what I would call an optimal smart city utility experience. And I think when you think about on a blue sky day, we would want to do this just to optimize costs that, you know, get a better return on our investments and to provide better service. But then when you introduce things that are happening in our society, like climate change or storm preparedness or readiness or disaster or cybersecurity, now that's where that necessity piece comes in. And it's really a necessity to work together in this fashion. And I think, you know, some of the key stakeholders have been doing this and promoting it, but, you know, there could be um, legislation that would need to be written so, so that we could share data. And I think that is kind of a controversial topic about infrastructure and shared data, especially when it relates to premise information or critical infrastructure. But I think it's becoming more and more of a necessity if we are truly going to become a smarter, because I would argue that they're already smart, but a smarter mm-hmm. city utility, that these are the things or the directions that I see us going. It's, it's going to become a necessity just because of the shared burden of the cost. But then I think the opportunity that we have now with all the advances in technology, with all of the machine learning and pattern recognition and you know, smart devices, that we really can take this and hopefully accelerate the move because you know, these are industries that don't move quickly, right? Public sector and yeah. the utility industry. Right, and we, I don't know if we failed to mention that, but it certainly is something we need to underscore, and that goes back to my opening, that it's already built. What are you going to do about it? How can you move? Mm-hmm. And quickly, and I love the example of Envision Charlotte in just a few years, all that savings. Steve, I'm going to, you know what? 
let's see if we can get uh, each of you to just comment, Steve, 60 seconds, and Russ, 60 seconds, on what Lisa said about the definition of smart city utility. And then I'll give you each 60 seconds. It'll be Steve, Russ, Lisa for your prediction. So let's talk really fast. Steve, thoughts on Lisa's definition, please. Lisa nailed it. It's smarter, not smart. They're already pretty smart. They're already very efficient. We already take for granted a lot of the low-cost, high-availability services we get from utilities. So I think that's, that's dead on. We need to realize that it's a constant evolution, uh, and it's also a changing community. Uh, the one part I think we haven't really tapped into yet in that is the information infrastructure in terms of getting information to flow freely between the entities. In some cases, breaking down some antiquated uh, legislative initiatives so that uh, the consumers and the utilities uh, and the public entities can all share the data as they need it in closer to real time. Thank you very much, Russ. That was, it wasn't quite the prediction. That was the comment. So we still have predictions time from Steve. Russ, thoughts on what Lisa shared, and then I'll run back to Steve for a quick prediction. Go ahead, Russ. Yeah, I agree with Lisa. I, I really don't like the term smart cities. Um, I think she's right. We're making it smarter. I like this idea of using technology. I also like to think about for the sake of what. I mean, we're applying technology for what's sake, right? And I think it's to make communities more sustainable, to make them economically develop stronger and uh, to provide for those who are maybe not able to provide for themselves. If you can't achieve that, then let's not play with technology. Very, very interesting. There's provocative. Steve Sarnecki, I've got 60 seconds for you. Predictions. Take a look ahead, maybe 2020 in that, in that range. What do you see that will change dramatically? And there's so much I believe you could talk about. But 60 seconds. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, two things. One, sustainability is not going away. I think we're going to see a move to localized, cleaner energy being integrated, uh, whether that's distributed energy networks or other technology. I don't think that's going to change. And the other thing um, that I think we, we often gloss past and can't ignore if we look out uh, five or ten years is water use, water rights, and the fact that most of the wars in history have been fought over water, not energy. Thank you very much. Good prediction. Russ Vanos, I could give you a whole 60 seconds. Use them well. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's probably already been said. I think in by 2020, we're not really talking about smarter cities. We're just doing it every day. Utilities are actively involved, and they're not just building infrastructure that's to deliver electricity, gas, or water. They're building all kinds of it, infrastructure that's helping the collection of data, and we've built uh, data repositories so that all kinds of people can ha- have access to that data, and, and it really promotes innovation. Thank you very much. Lisa D'Alessandro, you know what, Lisa? They were so efficient with their predictions. I have 90 seconds for you, Lisa. Can you believe that you get an extra 30-second bonus? Talk about sustainable time. What a sustainable <laughs> clock here. We're making time grow right underneath our noses. So, Lisa, what do you have to say? Utilities, smart cities, smarter cities, smarter city utilities of the future. What do you see in the crystal ball, please? So, so over the course of three years, you know, I'd like to think that things are going to move a little bit faster, but I think change is slow. So I think we're on a good path, and you're going to continue to see um, the constituents between city government and the utilities come together. I think technology is going to be the bridge that's going to help them get there. 
I think I also see a lot of uh, influx from new market leaders kind of emerging from the private sector who have both a vested interest in having sustainability and growing cities and actually playing a key role. So the companies like Google and Tesla and Samsung are going to inject some new capital because we're going to need additional capital from outside the current um, you know, the current providers, the current uh, opportunities that we have to, to get there faster. And so I think some of the privatization that's happening too is going to help accelerate that. So I'd like to think that we'll have more introduction from some of the private sector or new players coming in to help be a catalyst here. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point, we've got just enough time to say thank you to the panelists. Shout out again to Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP Utilities. Marlon, you did it again. Really, really provocative topic. Great panel. And something to think about for the future is where do millennials fit into this whole infrastructure and the whole idea of making utilities and cities smarter. Maybe that's another topic for later in the year. Steve Sarnecki at OSI Soft, thank you so much for joining us. Steve Russ Vanos at ITRON Ditto. A pleasure. Lisa D'Alessandro at SAP. Wonderful to have the three of you. I appreciate your insights, your expertise, your savvy, and how friendly and pleasant you all were. That makes for a great conversation. You know it does. Uh, so here's my call to action. Let's see what we've got here. First of all, shout out to Kevin, our engineer at World Talk Radio. Thank you, Kevin. And here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Okay, I know you're not driving and listening to the Internet at the same time, but think about it metaphorically. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Steve Sardecki, just like Russ Vanos, and just like Lisa D'Alessandro, and just like Marla Zelkowitz. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for the day. We'll be back tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, with a new episode of our flagship show, Coffee break with Game Changers. Whatever you're drinking, join us. See you then on the Business Channel. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future. Presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.